out of this year, out of 3,000 students who participated in the competition, you guys are this year's grand prize winners. Grand prize? <laughs> grand prize. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the C-SPAN in the Classroom podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my colleagues Craig and Pam. It's that time of year again. Some may say the best time of the year. It's student cam season. C-SPAN's offices are buzzing about the winners of this year's student cam documentary competition. Our education team received and viewed over 1,400 documentary entries from more than 3,000 middle and high school students across 41 states, Washington, D.C., South Korea, and Morocco. As you've said throughout this entire judging process, Craig, each student has showcased exceptional research and production values as they wove their personal stories with historical or contemporary issues. Suffice to say, the competition was fierce. In the opening clip, you heard the moment that siblings Tyler and Dermot Foley discovered that they were this year's grand prize winners. Tyler and Dermot are students at Eastern Middle School in Silver Spring, Maryland. These seventh graders made a strong impression on the judging panel with their documentary titled What Happened to Gibson Grove? about highways, racial injustice, and the fight to save America's historic black cemeteries. The duo will receive $5,000 as our national grand prize winners. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode to hear the entirety of this exceptional grand prize winning entry. But for now, in this episode, we will share with you the top winner in each division of our competition and highlight portions of each of their winning documentaries. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for joining us today as we recognize the top winners in this year's student camp competition. Each year, students surprise us with their talents and skills as they tackle tough topics that they're personally passionate about. And the three of us as the judges who watch every single entry that we receive in this competition find ourselves learning a lot uh, about the things that this generation of young people care about. The student camp competition truly is one of the best project-based learning experiences for middle and high school age students. And it's a great way for them to showcase their creativity, their research, and their presentation skills. Each year, the quality just seems to keep getting better and better, and I think I speak for the whole team when I say that this year's entries exceeded even our lofty expectations. This year, we asked students to produce a documentary on the theme, How Does the Federal Government Impact Your Life? And students responded with topics that range from the environment and pollution, to health care and mental health, to COVID-19 and related economic recovery, to immigration policy, among many, many other issues that are affecting them and their communities all across the country. As you heard in the opening clip to today's uh, podcast, Seventh grade twins, Dermot and Tyler Foley, are this year's grand prize winners, 
and their documentary was selected as the very best among all the entries that we received from more than 3,000 participating students in this year's competition. Dermot and Tyler explored the Federal Highway Act of 1956, racial injustice, and the fight to save America's black cemeteries. Before we look at and discuss some of the elements that helped them win this year's top prize, let's listen to why they chose the topic for their video. Growing up, my brother and I would bike to our favorite park all the time, and along the way, we would pass a small church that was very mysterious. It is located in a wooded area next to I-495, the highway that goes around Washington, D.C. in the shape of a belt. The doors and windows of the church were boarded up, and there were vines growing everywhere. It looked like there had been a fire a long time ago. We were curious, and we found out that more than 140 years ago, the church, called Gibson Grove, had been the center of a bustling African-American community. There had been a school, an adult baseball team, and a community meeting hall with dances and a cemetery. One day, we saw an announcement that the Capitol Beltway was being expanded in the area of the church. The plans showed that the new highway lanes would be built right on top of portions of the cemetery, threatening to erase it. It's really hard to overstate just how well scripted this is, especially when you consider that they are only in seventh grade. And Tyler and Dermot hooked us right from the opening. The way that they questioned something that they frequently passed in their neighborhood, uh, something that piqued their interest, it grabbed our attention as well. They took us on a journey as they filmed on location of Gibson Grove in Maryland, uncovering unique history as they explored the area with historians and made it a personal story through the interviews with descendants of people who lived here in the D.C. area. Let's listen now to a portion of the video that includes some of Dermot and Tyler's interviews with members from their community. The story of the Gibson Grove community in Cabin John, Maryland, begins in 1880 when Robert and Sarah Gibson, who were formerly enslaved and came north to Maryland from Virginia, bought a five-acre plot of land in an area about four miles northwest from Washington, D.C. Soon, nine other black families joined them. So during the time period uh, when the uh, people who were coming into this area were purchasing the land, this land was actually segregated. So African-Americans weren't allowed to live here. And they found a few people who owned property who were willing to actually sell land to African-Americans. This is why this becomes so important because even though they were surrounded all around by people who didn't want them there in a hostile environment, they still found a way to make this home. And in this small little area, they had their cemetery, they built a church, they had a lot of different people who had different jobs, they were seamstresses and other things as well. My family is originally from Georgetown, Washington, D.C. So um, we're still tracing how he got here. We believe that he was uh, working on um, the aqueduct nearby. But something happened to the tight-knit community in the 1950s and 60s. That's when the original construction of the Capitol Beltway took place, physically splitting the Gibson Grove AME Zion Church from the cemetery. So one of the requirements of the competition is to explore different perspectives on the chosen issue, and Tyler and Dermot achieved that through their interviews as well as presenting the government's perspective on why there was interest in widening the uh, DC Beltway. Uh, and that's so as to improve transit and uh, economic development in the area. So their use of C-SPAN video clips was also effective, and it showed action that is being taken regarding the issue at the federal level by officials like Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. This same issue that they explored affects many minority communities all across the country, and a scan of the evening news or local newspapers from other parts of the country will reveal similar stories and legal battles that are taking place in states like New York, New Jersey, Florida, and Texas. 
In fact, the morning after we had chosen Tyler and Dermot's video as the grand prize winner, I was watching the CBS early morning show with my morning coffee, and I saw a lengthy segment about a Houston community that was fighting a very similar battle to the one that the boys showcased in their documentary. So overall, I think I speak for the three of us when I say we are so very impressed with the work that these two middle schoolers put into producing this documentary, and we're thrilled to award Tyler and Dermot with this year's grand prize of $5,000. Let's cruise down south to the first prize winners for the high school central division. Jalea Joseph, Santanasia Manuel, and Jason Boudreau, students at College Street Vocational Center in Lake Charles, Louisiana. These three students will share $3,000 for their winning documentary, FEMA's Impact on Our Lives in Southwest Louisiana. They told a powerful story as they presented what their community was facing, not just during COVID, but as a result of natural disasters they experienced when Hurricanes Laura and Delta hit. Let's listen to the beginning of their video as they set up the issue they were researching for their documentary, including footage of the devastation, as well as interviews with City of Lake Charles Mayor Nick Hunter and the FEMA Operations Branch Director. The storm was more powerful than, than Katrina. It came on shore at 1 o'clock yesterday morning at 150 miles per hour. This is our community, our little corner of the Bayou State. Lake Charles, Louisiana, where we live, work, and go to school. Home to some of the most resilient people you'll ever meet. Because if you're still here after what we've dealt with in the past year and a half, you're pretty darn tough. You see, this is our school. This is the school across the street. This is my old apartment. And this is where I live today, in a FEMA trailer park, surrounded by neighbors with similar stories, tremendous loss, and slow recovery. While the story of 2020 and 2021 centered around the pandemic for most Americans, we dealt with that in addition to the most federally declared disasters to hit any American city in a 10-month time span. How can this be happening? How can all of these things be happening? This has got to be some bad dream. This has got to be impossible. No other American city in history has had so many federally declared natural disasters as Lake Charles has had over a 10-month span. First came Hurricane Laura. Made landfall near, near Cameron, Louisiana. It was the most powerful hurricane to strike the Louisiana coast in 150 years. Look at that. Then it was Hurricane Delta. We already know that there will be damage uh, in southwest Louisiana that will be very difficult to differentiate between what was caused by Hurricane Laura and what was caused by Hurricane Delta. A crippling freeze in a community of people still living in campers, in their driveways or damaged homes with no heat. Then a crazy flood, right here, while we were in school, waiting to be picked up by high water vehicles. For what, about an hour and a half? We needed and still need a lot of help to recover. And that's why we're exploring the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, and its impact on our daily lives here in Southwest Louisiana. Well, FEMA has multiple roles. Uh, we assess before, during, and after a disaster. During a disaster, we work with the state uh, as well as the presidential mandate when they declare an emergency declaration. So we are compiling resources and personnel and assessing the situation to come in and to provide the most assistance and help that we can. These students provided an excellent overview of their story and their introduction, which gave us an understanding of how it was going to unfold. And they drew us in as they took us around the city to show us the loss they experienced. The images of the damage done to schools and homes was palpable. And in their piece, they explored the process the city was going through to recover, 
and the steps the school was taking to rebuild, which demonstrated not only what they learned about how the federal government impacts their lives, but we learned with them as well. They also incorporated several C-SPAN video clips featuring elected officials. Among them were Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards and President Trump, which helped document the support that the city was getting. Jalea, Santanasia, and Jason offered a balance of perspectives in their video. They wove creative elements in through their use of music and B-roll, and in the end, generated a connection with the audience by sharing their personal stories and reinforcing the importance of humanity during a crisis. Next, we'll head down the road to Montgomery County, Maryland, for our first prize winners in the high school East Division, Evelyn Shu and Ida Chen. Receiving $3,000 for their entry, these two students explored the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974, or SDWA, in their film entitled Something in the Water. This documentary featured C-SPAN clips of President Bill Clinton and several former EPA administrators and had interviews with several experts, including a water quality specialist, an activist, a professor, and a Maryland state senator. But what was unique about this documentary was how the students wove an 1882 play by Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen entitled An Enemy of the People into their film. Between the high-quality interviews the exceptional editing, and a seamless storyline, these two students developed a fantastic documentary product. Let's take a listen to a portion of this piece in which the students explore the SDWA using a C-SPAN clip of an EPA administrator and an interview with Joan Leary Matthews, the head of the Urban Water Management Team at the National Resources Defense Council. The 1974 Safe Drinking Water Act, or the SDWA, was the first piece of comprehensive federal legislation that regulated public water systems. Under the Safe Drinking Water Act, Congress directed EPA to set national standards, but assigned primary responsibility to the states to implement and enforce the law. If we have a contaminant that EPA has set a drinking water standard for, called a maximum contaminant level, then there's a whole host of responses that would happen. Prior to its passage, only 60% of surveyed water systems met current SDWA standards, and 90% had microbe levels that exceeded what is considered safe today. But thanks to the SDWA and subsequent amendments, the U.S. now has one of the safest water supplies in the world. However, like all federal legislation, the SDWA did not solve everything. Next up, we have our first prize winners from the High School West Division. Kimba Kateski and Zoe Glico are students at Foothill Community Christian School in Great Falls, Montana. And the duo will receive $3,000 for their entry titled American Rescue Plan, Economic Boost or Bust. Kimba and Zoe dive into the topic of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, and they explore both the positive and the negative effects of it. Of note, they conducted impressive interviews that offer a balanced perspective among which are Great Falls, Montana Mayor Bob Kelly, and he discusses a variety of ways to stimulate the regional economy, as well as State Representative Jeremy Trebus, who talks about supply and demand as well as inflation. It's a complex topic, but these two did an excellent job of presenting their research and sharing information from different sides. Let's listen to a portion of their video that features an interview with Republican Senator Steve Daines, as well as related C-SPAN video clips that help further their discussion on their topic. According to the National Conference of Slate Legislators, $1.9 trillion was distributed to the American people on March 11, 2021. This bill was sent by the American Rescue Plan Act. This bill and many other economic stimulus packages have greatly boosted our economy. But will our economy keep climbing, or is there an extent to this economic progress? 
Well, on the economy, we're just seeing a lot more inflation. And inflation is, uh, in some ways, is like a tax on everybody. Because when you have inflation, that means prices are going up. And that means your, your wages are shrinking. And the people who can afford it the least, the poorest in our community, are the ones who get hit the hardest by that. But now we are seeing the price hikes across the board. Prices are rising at the fastest clip in nearly 40 years. It seems politicians are divided on this bill. Is there apprehension for good reason, or is it just partisan bias? It is supported by 75% of the American people, 71% of independents, and 60% of Republicans. This bill was passed purely on a partisan on partisan lines. Democrats support it, Republicans opposed it. And the reason for that, this was another $2 trillion bill. These are huge numbers. And it was wasteful. Uh, it was disguised as a COVID relief package, but in reality was it had a lot of very far left policies in it. And, and here's what we were concerned with. We said it's gonna start to uh, start inflation in our economy. And sure enough, Montanans are battling inflation. Look what's going on at the gas pump, at the grocery store, on real estate prices and housing and everything, uh, is the prices are going up. The students also interviewed Democratic Senator John Tester to get his views at the federal level. And in the end, they evaluated their information and formed their own opinion, which is one of the goals of the competition. That's for students to think critically about an issue, explore multiple sides through credible sources, and arrive at their own conclusions. In a nutshell, that is really C-SPAN's mission, to provide the public with unedited or editorialized information from all sides of any given topic and let you make up your own minds. Absolutely, Craig. C-SPAN is the conduit to deliver information on so many topics. And we all know the last two years have upended everything in our lives, from the way we do business and jobs, to methods of education and socializing, to the way we engage in everyday errands, you name it. It's affected each and every one of us, and we all cope in our own ways. And many of this year's entries reflected the struggles that young people had during this time, including mental health. Keeping that in mind, securing the top spot in the middle school national division is Aria Ronnie Sindeldecker, a student at Isaac Newton Graham Middle School in Mountain View, California. In this documentary, Aria explores the stigma associated with mental health. Let's listen to the introduction which includes a portion of an interview with Stephen Hinshaw, UC Berkeley psychology professor and professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at UC San Francisco. Stigma. There's been, since we've recorded history, people who act strangely, aberrantly, hear voices. This raises in other people the fear, well, maybe that could be myself. And I don't want to be around people who are going to bring me down. On the other hand, Stigma can be overcome. One in four people currently are experiencing a moderate to severe mental illness. Digest that. Roughly 82 million people in the U.S. have a mental health challenge and are not all getting the care they need. What is the federal government doing? In 1996, the federal government passed the Mental Health Parity Act designed to make mental health coverage equal physical health coverage. In 2008, the law was updated to the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act in order to close any loopholes. Arya sets up her topic nicely by linking it to the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, 
like a thesis statement in a paper, so we know what is going to be discussed. She examines the awareness of mental health, loopholes, and the availability of health plans. She takes this national issue and looks through a more local lens and goes on to explore how stigma affects seeking treatment, access to programs and healthcare professionals, as well as funding. It's through the interviews with experts and people who work with organizations associated with this field that we hear different perspectives on mental health and how it can be addressed to improve care, particularly among youth and in schools. Let's listen to a portion of an interview with Joanna Carson Young, the Director of School Services at the Community Health Awareness Council, or SHAC. For CHAC, all our school-based services are no cost, but we are a family services agency. So one of the things that we are really focused on doing is providing more access to family therapy support. And we have a sliding scale. Our schools are the foundation for change in achieving a stigma-free nation. It can include, from one end of the spectrum, sort of a preventative piece, helping them express their feelings. And it can go to a more individualized support where you're going in and you're talking to a counselor about your experience. It could be group support. In doing my research and searching for interviewees in Santa Clara County, I found the stigma was so strong that I couldn't find any students whose parents would allow them to be interviewed, even anonymously. People should feel safe to share their feelings. It's a step towards achieving parity. There are currently three new Senate bills in play that require each state to identify a mental health education plan before January 2024. But will these bills be enforced properly? Look inside you. It's not a sign of weakness, but of strength to open up. It's great when people can connect. And if we can do that more and more, we may be on our way to a much more stigma-free society and it's people of your age and generation who are gonna make the difference, so keep at it. Aria's documentary reflects the research she did on this topic, the preparation and effort she put into the interviews, and she did an excellent job of weaving those elements together to tell an important story. Aria will receive $3,000 for winning the national first prize in the middle school division. Thank you once again for tuning in to the C-SPAN in the Classroom podcast. As the three of us are all former teachers ourselves, nothing brings us more joy than celebrating the successes of students, especially those who are our 2022 Student Cam Award recipients. Please keep an eye out this summer when we plan to announce the 2023 Student Cam theme, and we sincerely hope that you and your students will consider participating next year. Just adding on to what you mentioned, Zach, we value each and every entry that was submitted in the competition because we know all that goes into producing a documentary. There's no doubt this is a challenging project for young people to take on, but the skills that they develop and the opportunities to win cash prizes and be recognized both regionally and nationally for their work is one that is suitably rewarded. To all of our listeners, you can view each of the 150 winning videos on our website, studentcam.org. We will also post uh, those that we shared today along with a link to all of the winners on our podcast page at cspan.org slash classroom. And just remember, if you would like to connect with our team at any time, please email us at educate at cspan.org. Thank you for joining us this week. As we wrap up this episode, we'll leave you by playing Dermot and Tyler's entire grand prize documentary, What Happened to Gibson Grove. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next time. Growing up, my brother and I would bike to our favorite park all the time. And along the way, we would pass a small church that was very mysterious. It is located in a wooded area next to I-495, the highway that goes around Washington, D.C. in the shape of a belt. The doors and windows of the church were boarded up, and there were vines growing everywhere. 
It looked like there had been a fire a long time ago. We were curious, and we found out that more than 140 years ago, the church, called Gibson Grove, had been the center of a bustling African-American community. There had been a school, an adult baseball team, and a community meeting hall with dances and a cemetery. One day, we saw an announcement that the Capitol Beltway was being expanded in the area of the church. The plans showed that the new highway lanes would be built right on top of portions of the cemetery, threatening to erase it. The highways around Washington, D.C. are some of the most congested in the country. People can literally be stuck on them for hours. The widening of the Capitol Beltway was a major victory for Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who argued that the project is essential for economic development of the region. America's interstate highway system took shape in 1956 with the passage of the Federal Aid Highway Act. At that time, officials often purposely routed the roads through black and brown communities, displacing families and demolishing historic neighborhoods. The National Trust for Historic Preservation calls highways memorials to racial injustice and said architects of the roads tended to view black neighborhoods as the path of least resistance. But we are now in a moment of racial reckoning. President Biden, as part of a $1 trillion plan to improve America's infrastructure, has pledged to use $20 million to help neighborhoods of color split or splintered by past projects. If a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or there would have been, uh, in New York was was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. The story of the Gibson Grove community in Cabin John, Maryland, begins in 1880 when Robert and Sarah Gibson, who were formerly enslaved and came north to Maryland from Virginia, bought a five-acre plot of land in an area about four miles northwest from Washington, D.C. Soon, nine other black families joined them. So during the time period uh, when the uh, people who were coming into this area were purchasing the land, This land was actually segregated, so African-Americans weren't allowed to live here. And they found a few people who owned property who were willing to actually sell land to African-Americans. This is why this becomes so important, because even though they were surrounded all around by people who didn't want them there in a hostile environment, they still found a way to make this home. And in this small little area, they had their cemetery, they built a church, they had a lot of different people who had different jobs, they were seamstresses and other things as well. My family is originally from Georgetown, Washington, D.C. So um, we're still tracing how he got here. We believe that he was uh, working on um, the aqueduct nearby. But something happened to the tight-knit community in the 1950s and 60s. That's when the original construction of the Capitol Beltway took place, physically splitting the Gibson Grove AME Zion Church from the cemetery. But see these homes right here? Mm-hmm. That's under the highway. Oh, if you follow me carefully... Oh, there's another one. Another one, but we can't really read it. It's worn away. We don't know what happened. But you can see that the pressure... As a child, I never knew this was here. I really didn't because 
My grandmother didn't talk about it. Neither one of my grandparents. It was something that really, really hurt them. Just imagine your ancestors buried on property and all of a sudden the highway department comes by and decides, well, nobody's going to miss these people. We're just going to pave over them. For lost communities like Gibson Grove, cemeteries are often all that's left. Black cemeteries really contain Black history. So you're recreating the entire history sometimes of a community, knowing who's in the cemetery. Congressman Donald McEachin from Virginia has written a bill that would direct the National Park Service to map historic African-American cemeteries. Supporters hope it will be reintroduced this year. We need to act now before these sites are lost to the ravages of time or development. We can still see the consequences of those decisions. The segregation that began back then is still present in Montgomery County. The area around Gibson Grove in the western half is now overwhelmingly white. I go to school in the east, which is 75% minority. The story of the Moses Morningstar Cemetery has a happy ending. Descendants, neighbors, and academic researchers formed a coalition to fight the highway construction. And in September, the state announced it would avoid the cemetery when adding new lanes. But without strong federal laws to protect these sites, the threat still looms elsewhere. <laughs>